Welcome back to Judging Book Covers, your bi-weekly book club podcast where we're going through our 2020 challenge list. I'm Stephanie Cortez, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Megan Griffin. How are you doing tonight, Megan? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Ready to talk about this book. Um, and tonight we also have a guest, someone who's been here before. I'm so glad that she's back. <laughs> we have the wonderful Dr. Sarah If Deckard on. <laughs> Hi. How are you, Sarah? You very much. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Good. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, welcome back. Good to be back. Yes, you're welcome. Three strong anytime. women. Yes. For International um, Women's Day. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I like what we chose to read. Uh, before we jump into that, Megan, you were going to read Ali Wong's Dear Girls last time. I did. Uh, yes. Yes. It was Thoughts. very good. I finished it in a day. Wow. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> it was, it was very good. Very funny. Uh, it was exactly what I needed. To, before I started uh, Know My Name. And uh, yeah, she's great. I then sat down and like watched her Netflix mm. Uh, mm. Um, specials and she's just a delight. It's, it's, yeah, that's all. She's just <laughs> yeah. such a delight. I remember seeing, I don't remember who posted it or where I saw it, but for Birds of Prey needing more Ali Wong. Yes. And finally went to see the movie. Loved it, loved it. And I was like, yeah, I want more of her. <laughs> yes. I still need to get to yes. see Birds of Prey. I'm so terrible at getting uh, to see the movies. The I mean, best things usually are that Ali Wong's in it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Huntress is the most socially awkward yes. superhero. And I love Aww. her to yes. death. And, and the entire love story involving this egg sandwich. Yes, and the soundtrack. The soundtrack is yes. oh, soundtrack fire. Is there is not one male voice on it. It is wonderful. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. So good. I love that movie so much. I, yes, I want to go see it again, but I got some other yes. stuff I need to see first. Yeah. Always a problem. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You were going to continue reading the Inheritance series. Yep. I went to the second N.K. Jemisin, uh, The Broken Kingdoms. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a, it's like, like you get to see more about what happens to Etempus after getting turned human. Um, okay. But like the main character, our protagonist is someone that you don't know from the first book. Totally new person. Right. Okay. Um, so you do get to, but you do get to see like past like characters and stuff like that so that's cool so i'm excited for the third one because that's absolutely what i'm going to be reading next that's not for the podcast so (laughs) heads up (laughs) yeah it's actually i love that the three books are like they obviously have some characters in common but they also like tell very distinct stories with some different protagonists so very cool yeah yeah it was really good i definitely recommend definitely definitely recommend although i'm like probably going to read all of her stuff once i get through the third of the inheritance series so (laughs) (laughs) and then uh, for today our challenge was a historical event and sarah picked this one and great choice it was um, a poisoned past the life and times of margarita de portu a 14th century accused poisoner by stephen bednarski um so had you read this before like how'd you come across this one I read it a couple of years ago. I think I actually just came across it at the big medieval studies conference is uh, just known as Kalamazoo because it's always in Kalamazoo, Michigan for reasons that are a little unclear to me. (laughs) I'm sure somebody knows them, but so, but basically at academic conferences, they have these giant book fairs. And so you're in this just huge room of just all medieval studies related books. Mm. 
which is super fun and also a very easy way to spend far more money than you should. But, I can uh, see that. <laughs> um, but so when I was there, I a couple of years ago, I bought this and read it and really loved it. And it's something that I'm hoping to potentially assign to students in the next Ooh. couple of years as I'm kind of moving into more of a general medieval history position rather than a more Jewish studies position. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, I just think it's like super well done. And it's an area that is uh, not exactly what I research on, but kind of connected to what I research on. So for those who don't know you, what is your doctorate in? So I have a doctorate in medieval history, and okay. I am currently working on the book, which is the book based on my dissertation, which is uh, comparing Jewish and Christian women's economic activities in Catalonia in the 13th and 14th centuries. Very nice. Awesome. So yeah, intersections yeah. with women's history and also the region that he is looking at here in Southern France is very culturally connected to Catalonia. Uh, so. Okay. Very cool. Nice. So I had no idea who Margarita was. <laughs> I had not heard of her before. Yeah. Or if you book. Google, she doesn't like pop up in, mm. outside of this story. It's not someone yeah. that's like, but it does kind of sound like some of the things that are decided in this. I don't know. It felt like the start of other things, but maybe it's just like, nope, this was something that happened several times. Like, like the whole I could see this court case being cited as a reason mm -hmm. that you need to sleep with your husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like yeah. a very intelligent, if, if a man was like, you were giving me blue balls and cited this court case, I might actually sleep with him. <laughs> kind of situation. Right. So I, I'm also a social historian, and this is very much what this book is. And one of the cool things about court records and uh, the records that I deal with well, which are basically economic contracts, is that you can essentially create these biographies of people who are not, quote, important or famous. Mm -hmm. And so, like, this is somebody that, like, nobody's really, like, heard of this person. Um, she I mean, wasn't like, there's a reason rich. you didn't come across her Googling. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But that, like, if you go and spend a lot of time in archives, that you can write these stories about these, like, ordinary, but, like, actually, in this case, like, really badass person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is great. Yeah. I like when he starts out talking about microhistory and basically using a single focus moment in time to really shine a light on a, the broader world at the time. I probably would have enjoyed my history classes more if I got to read more stuff like this instead yeah. of just strict, straight forward textbooks yeah um, agreed yeah. yeah and this is also increasingly i would say like what history is often like in terms of what historians are actually doing i mean not that all historians are doing this but that history is becoming kind of broader and including more of these like narrative stories of mm -hmm. individuals that are just kind of well documented and also in general i will say is just becoming more about normal people as opposed to like yeah. this is like some king and what he is doing yeah yes Yes. Yeah, because there's a part where he talks about how, like, in the 60s, second-generation feminists were starting to write women's history, even though they're, like, professors and stuff were like, oh, women's, there's no, women didn't leave written records. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's okay. count the ways sure. that they did. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not one record. Uh-huh. Not a one. And you still get people... Yeah talking about women's history like it is not as important as mm -hmm. history of men. Yep. <sighs> yep. 
Uh, Even in 2020, on today, International Women's Day. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so basically, let's see, Margarita, I feel like I'm saying her name wrong. No, Margarita's Um, correct. Okay. She lived in a small village and she married Johan Dimpancini. No. How you say his last I think name? it's da- I think it's Damponti. Damponti. Yeah. Um. I will also say just a note about so the author, as far as I can tell, has made the choice that the some of the first names are um, kind of put into formats that are kind of like Provencal-ish, but the last mm. names he basically just repeats what the Latin is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I actually personally don't do. I do the like Catalanized versions because mm. I find it kind of easier to deal with and I think it also kind of reflects the reality that like these are texts that are written in Latin but it's not the language that people would have been speaking right yeah so so I think her last name I would have to double check but it's like very possible that like she would have been there as like Margarita like Deport and uh, mm. like Damponce is maybe what his name actually like would have been gotcha. uh, I'm not 100% sure what the equivalencies are because Provencal is not exactly the language that I would yeah. be doing this in but that was also interesting when we learned that the scribes were writing in Latin, even though no one was speaking Latin. And sometimes yeah. they would just have to like Latinize a word that didn't have uh-huh. a Latin translation. I was like, this seems just <laughs> <laughs> a difficult. <laughs> and then also very difficult for historians when they have to go through this stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That very much speaks to my experience as a historian yeah. that you just come across all these words and yeah. it's like, okay, so this is in no dictionary. So right. Right. So it's like, Just how do I translate it. this like Latinized word back into Catalan and then like go to the like old Catalan dictionary oh to God. see if I could figure out what this is supposed to be? Does that work for the most part? Usually. Okay. okay. But that's still Not a always, lot. But usually. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fun. It sounds frustrating, but it sounds like, like you really must love what you're doing to do mm-hmm. stuff like this. Yeah. No, like I think it's really fun. I also like, I really love this kind of experience of uncovering these stories. This is actually part of like the kind of thing that really made me realize that I wanted to be a historian um, was the chance to actually like work in archives and be able to like tell these stories about people uh, from documents like this. And it's just, it's, it's just so cool. And the documents are so cool. Uh, They're horrible to read, but they're really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you add in shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. The handwriting is like all of these notaries who don't care if anyone but themselves can read their handwriting, essentially. Right. Yep. (laughs) That lasted a very long time. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just that, but in Latin. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. That was just me huffing. No, no, no. I meant like bless her and everyone who does this work to like get through and be able to tell these stories, like understand what was happening and then tell the stories. Um, How do you say the town? Minosk? Minosk. 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 Okay. Yeah. So Minosk is where he lives. And then obviously she moves there when they get married. Um, He dies in 1394. And I really liked how chapter two starts off with just like, a story about how it's just about a couple and hanging out and they're going to eat breakfast together and there's a dog running around. There's a lot of people and it's obviously just like kind of like a retelling of what happened. Like he goes to work in a field and then drops like a stone and goes home and dies basically. But it's what happens to him. Um, This breakfast sounds gross for the record. (laughs) 
lots of garlic. I mean, I like garlic. I do. I like garlic, but it's like garlic oil and almond, and I'm like, mm, it's like is what? that right? Is that like really everything that's in this stew? Um, there actually I mean, is, I think, a Spanish <laughs> stew that is like soup that is basically that. Ooh. I mean, mm, I mean, maybe it's real good. Hmm. <laughs> I would try it. Just need some kind of meat, right? I would try it. <laughs> I don't know if I would, you know, <laughs> but I would look and watch. <laughs> but it is also definitely like you can tell that they don't like. That's one of the many ways you can tell they don't have a ton of money because like they're True. like they're not going to have meat at every meal, um, right? Because they cannot they cannot afford to have meat at most meals. Yeah, he did complain that the food was too spicy. Right. So something Too like, what garlic. devil made this? Um, which is one of the things that his brother kind of, or half, yeah, half brother, uterine brother, <laughs> Raymond. <laughs> There's some good phrasing in this book. Um, basically, Margarita's biggest um, enemy here is her brother-in-law, Raymond, who accuses her of using poison and sorcery to kill her husband, his brother. Um, claims that they fought and she like ran away to her hometown for eight days and then she comes back and he drops dead the next day and this guy seemed like a real asshole yeah (laughs) he did a lot of things that just had me being like why like (laughs) what what is the underlying purpose did you want to marry her and you got screwed over did you murder your brother and you're trying to blame it on someone. So, Did- the, yeah. The other thing I was wondering about is that especially because part of it is also he's trying to really make sure that he and like sort of his sisters, but he doesn't really care about his sisters are trying to be the ones who like get all of the inheritance from their late brother. Yeah. And so I don't think the author ever actually says this, but one of the things that I was wondering is if he was essentially trying to basically get her denied her dowry. Uh, the mm. money, so the money that she would have like brought in from her family, and that she would now be automatically entitled to, like collect on now that he's dead. And right. uh, I can't remember in southern France, but I think also there would have been a gift typically that he would have promised out of his property that she would have been entitled to as well, according to their marriage contract. That's definitely how it works Sounds in familiar. Catalonia. I think there's something similar in southern France. But so I was wondering if he was basically trying to like make sure that like none of the estate would go to her. Yeah, I'm That's, like wondering yeah. if he had majoring debt, gambling debt, or any kind of debt, yeah. and it's like, you know, he certainly seems to be in lawsuits every like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah no he has one likes so Raymond. Many lawsuits. Yeah, he's like the town drunk that cries wolf. <laughs> right, and including a lot of them are like insulting people in the middle of the street. Yes, just like Which yelling at people. That, essentially, like, this is like a third of those cases are like defamation which is basically not defamation as we would think of today instead it's like standing up and be like you're a whore and it's like all right we're going to court yeah Yeah. (laughs) or insulting the court because he did that at one point yeah like he could have paid the fine and avoided like actually going to being imprisoned and he didn't because he just seems like very like hard-headed Set in his ways, will not admit when he's wrong, and paying a fine would have admitted that he would have been admitting that he was wrong, I think. So he instead was like, I'm going to jail. (laughs) Right. And I also really liked that the author at some point is essentially like, 
he's a legal professional. He should know better. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> he was a notary. See. Like, he knew, like, he knew what he was doing. Like, he, or maybe he just, I don't know. Like Did he, he think that he was he so well connected? He knows that this is not legal. Like, it, like right. he knows that he is, like, he knows that the, that there are issues being raised by what he's doing. Like, he's very right. familiar with how courts work. Right. And, like... When he's popping off of the mouth at the court, like you have to know that that could get you in trouble. Or do you think you're just so well connected that it won't get you in trouble? Or do you just not care? Right. I mean, it just seems very much like this, just like, I don't know, just like white, just like, I don't know, like, like white male privilege that you're essentially like, I can do whatever I want. Right. Right. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if he was the older, younger brother based on the family Ooh. tree. And I, I just can't read it. Um. <laughs> I I think the indication at some point was that he and uh, is that he and this is that he's older because he I think he and the sisters are probably from their mother's first marriage and Johan is from their second. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I did find that entire debacle interesting. Like to separate really quick from the did you poison your husband or not court case. Uh, The second court case was hey. Um, there's no will. Where's all this money in the state going to go? And of course, it can't go to the wife because she's a woman. And or well, it's not because she's a woman; it's because wives don't automatically have inheritance rights. Oh, okay, because the sisters actually have rights. Yeah, I mean, you're yes, yes. Um, and she doesn't have an heir for to pass on right. and for her to control, anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the on. The right side of the fence is Raymond and his two sisters. Did he marry his sister? No, he married a different no. person. Oh my god! Okay, I, just, I don't. I don't I, there was a couple of like sister-in-law terms, but it was like about I don't know. Some names were a little too similar, and I got confused. This is also um, a period where there are like six names per religion per gender. Fair. Mm. Um, so on one side, we've got uterine brother and sisters. And then on the other side, we have paternal grand uh, uncle. Yeah. And this is stated. And the reason, outside of the fact that uterine brother makes me laugh, uh, we say it is because they are coming down his mother's side where mm-hmm. his grandfather is the paternal side. Right. Um, Not a term we well, made up. They did like they they did this. Yes, yep, <laughs> they, that, is, that is in the sources. Yes, yep. and uterine is a Latin uterine is a Latin word or a Latin derived word. So mm. I assume it is like basically that in the Latin. Yeah. Um, and then the debate is that because he had no heirs, the money should go back up through the patriarchy side, and that's yeah. why the uncle should inherit. And then, the, of course, the other side is, no, we are the closest blood relatives. Right. We should inherit. Yeah. Fights all and, around. And they yeah. win, and they do, as I said, like, my my area is, like, a little bit different in terms of exactly what the legal context is. But certainly in Catalonia, at least, like, that would be pretty obvious that siblings, regardless of even if they're half-siblings from the mother, have better rights than an uncle on either um, side. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been shocked if the uncle had one. Yeah. 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 Uh, they are also charged with having to pay off his debt, and they basically 
don't. Sneakily <laughs> yeah. don't. Like, the court, what do they, they announce it so that anyone who wants to claim a debt, like, can put their claim in, basically. Mm-hmm. And so they have a list of them, and some get paid a little bit, some get paid nothing. No one gets paid in full, I think, is what happened. Yeah. yeah. Which is not uncommon. <clears throat> but to go back to the original court case. Yes. Um, so sorcery and poison. She. Okay, I don't remember exactly what the. Um, she doesn't go to his funeral, but that's because she's basically in hiding, um, essentially. Yeah. Like her, yes. Her brother is a deacon at a church, so she's like kind of hiding out there out of concern for what her brother in law is doing, which right. makes sense to me. Um, yeah, that she's basically just like, I am afraid of him. And he keeps like y- running around yelling that I murdered my husband. And I'm just going to like hide out in this church, which mm-hmm. is a valid thing to do. Yeah. Right. But of course, Raymond's like, ma, she didn't even cry for him. She didn't go to the funeral, blah, blah, blah. Blah. Um, <laughs> so. Right. And it's also married two months. Was it two yeah. months? Yeah. So they'd been married two months, mm. and it also then comes up at some point in the testimony oh, yeah. that they did not have sex mm-hmm. because uh, the other piece of this is that she is, um, uh, I can't remember exactly what the term was used, but it seems to be, it's the term that, t- that tends to be assumed to be epilepsy, essentially. The falling sickness. Yeah. yeah. And, and I so, think there's another term for it, too. Yeah, and it was kind of indicated that basically, like, he would try to touch her, and she would, like, have... And an episode of that and like she would like fall and have like a seizure or something yep yeah which you also kind of understand given that this is like a young she's very young she's probably scared this mm-hmm. man is much older than she is probably definitely it's yeah his second, it's his second marriage and it's oh, yeah. her first yeah and at yeah. some point there's like a question of like is she even has she even reached the legal age of majority which is 25 so yeah, Which so she's probably all like, that. Yeah, yeah. she's so, like, fifteen yeah. or sixteen. Hmm? She hmm? is fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, good god. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do like that. There's a discussion of the fact that epilepsy is not usually caused by this kind of mm-hmm. reaction. Um, so it suggests that either um, she may have been sexually assaulted or. Right. Um, there's a good chance that because there's some comment about him sharing a bed or bringing on a man or something. I don't exactly remember. Um, her husband could have been queer, and who knows? It probably like there was definitely like more, like certain kinds of intimacy between people of the same sex was considered mm-hmm. to be more just normal than it is now. Like, it's actually interesting the way in which like people describe, like refer to as toxic masculine, like refer to toxic masculinity as something that is old when in fact, like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. in the sense of like not showing emotions and not having loving relationships with other men is very much like, that's very much not medieval. Like men Ooh. could like, embrace and cuddle and like kiss each other and that was considered just fine yeah it seems to be 18th century yeah Mm. at the like oldest and even that i would say maybe closer to 19th yeah um yeah so it might have just been like essentially like you know oh like i you know was gonna like have like my slumber party (laughs) essentially with my buddy tonight (laughs) essentially yeah (laughs) 
fun. <laughs> Which is actually kind of oh. cute. Yeah. yeah. So the court hears from different witnesses. I liked that the way they were presented, like the third one, I think it's the third one, the servant um, talks about how, you know, the two of them actually joked. Like, um, so just kind of putting it out there, like they were a couple. Yes, they fought, but like they were joking that day. And and actually we made me and uh, Johan, we made this, this stew together. She added something at the end, but we made this stew and then we all ate right. it and then right. gave some and to the dog. And she added it in front of people. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and the dog like definitely it, ate some and Margarita ate some, but everybody else yes. is still totally fine yeah. and alive. Right. Including the dog. And the <laughs> dog <Yeah>. specifically <laughs> ate from his bowl. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's also a, uh, one of her sisters-in-law um, testifies as well and testifies basically saying, like, I have no reason to think that she poisoned him. So it's also mm-hmm. interesting that Raymond is definitely not supported by the rest of his immediate family. Right. Yeah. It's weird. Right. And that they don't like change their story even when the Raymond and the two sisters like group together to like fight against the uncle basically that they're still like, no, she, oh, I don't think she did this. Um, Yeah. Everyone spoke very highly of Margarita. Yeah. Except for Raymond. Right. The one exception. Interesting that like there appears to be basically no evidence, but she still gets kind of put into a convict. And for yeah, until everything's resolved, which was a little weird. Um, yeah, and that it seems like she was basically sort of made to feel not safe. Which, yeah, knowing what we know about this guy, who's like getting into, I think at some point he like get like one of his other cases, he like gets into like tavern brawls. Like he's going mm-hmm. around the streets, apparently like yelling about how she's evil and a sorceress and murdered his brother. Like maybe she is safe there. Maybe, yeah, it's maybe like it's okay. It's that. Like, it's, yeah, it's that, like, I mean, so part of it is that she, like, is, uh, that there's, like, a claim question of, like, well, maybe she'll flee to her hometown, and so, like, she has to stay there, but I think also, I think, yeah. to some extent, she feels safer there than yeah. she would most other places. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about the doctor and his diagnosis. Yes. Uh, we have a Jewish doctor uh, where there is some discussion as to how it's not necessarily uncommon mm-hmm. but uh that they would have practiced with mentors and apprentices and apprenticeships rather than go to university right since the universities did not let you in uh yes um and there was discussion of how there had been a plague or something a couple hundred years before and that had caused some tension but everything has yeah calm down this community of Christians and, and Jews actually get along relatively well. Yeah, this is the uh, the 1390s and yes. the Black Death starts in 1348 and mm. there are a number of places, this being one of them, in which Jews are massacred because they are either accused of causing the Black Death directly or the accusation is made that the reason the Black Death is happening is because we've been too nice to the Jews. Uh, spoiler alert, they weren't that nice to them before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they're like, well, maybe if we kill the Jews, God will be happy with us. That is not something that logic. anybody should take away when it comes to coronavirus. That is oh a my God. Reason. Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yep. 
there are interesting ways in which the racism that, that comes up in the context of pandemics that is uh, not a new story. Mm. Great. If anything, you should take it as the world being too nice to America and <laughs> maybe do something about that. Right. <laughs> Anyways. God wants Trump out of office. <laughs> yes. yes, in fact. I'm so they get him to come in and he asks some really good questions. Um, they discuss how during the time period, like medicine is focused on the four. Um, uh, humors. They called, okay. They are called the four humors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they ask, can I see the vial? Did he throw up? Can I see the vial? And I mean, obviously what they're going to test for versus what we would test for in 2020 very different but it is still really cool to be like you knew where to look for things yeah yeah it's also really interesting in terms of like they i think it is a little vague about exactly what happened because by the time he's doing this examination he's been dead for a while at this like a couple mm -hmm. of months i think by the time they're actually doing mm -hmm. the examination yes and it's like did they did they bury him and like dig him up probably uh, which is interesting. So <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know, like in the 14th century, you wouldn't just be like sitting in like a you know one of those like drawers in the morgue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He's buried in Notre Dame, isn't he? Uh, I don't What's remember. Uh, very possibly, there's in that there was percent of the churches some... in France are named Notre Dame. Yeah, mm. there was some debt to Notre Dame for yeah. the oh yeah. So yeah. Um, but it's what, so he comes to the conclusion that he wasn't poisoned because his lips aren't swollen. There's no black, his nails aren't black. Mm -hmm. um, Eyes aren't swollen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's no witchcraft because the only thing, the only witchcraft, I guess, that she could be exhibiting is her own um, epilepsy, which interestingly enough they don't really treat like it's a demon possession right so, it doesn't um, really come up ever that like no. she's really accused of being possessed yeah. by a demon so like it's she's accused of doing witchcraft but there's no like and here's what we think she did or here's mm -hmm. how we think she did it kind of thing yeah um but the result is that because she did not have sex with him Black tumors grew around his heart and constricted his heart, mm -hmm. and thus he died of a broken heart. Blue balls mm -hmm. can literally kill you. Because, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because if you don't have sex with your husband, which, for the record, is your marital duty, mm -hmm. uh, you don't get to say no. Mm -hmm. um, nope, there is no concept of marital rape. I mean, not that there's a concept nope. of marital rape in, like, in the U.S. at least until, like, what, 1970? <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It still feels too early, but yeah. Uh, um. But the idea that like the blue balls is basically what killed him. I, mm -hmm. yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also the Thinking... amount of garlic he has inhaled. Oh yeah. Definitely right. warded off any kind of poison. Yeah. Yes. But I'm thinking back to like. I remember in middle school, like the sex ed talk, and I remember one because uh, Mrs. Rossi showed the video or whatever, and was like, "And listen, condoms will fit over a watermelon. Don't ever let a guy tell you it's too small. <laughs> Make him put it on." And then I'm Amen. like picturing what her reaction would be to like, "But blue balls is gonna kill me." 
Well. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's true. <laughs> I can do it. In medieval times, it's blue like, balls can I kill. Mean, like, there are plenty of prostitutes in Minosk. Yes. Like, I'm just saying. Right, like, it's also only been two months. Like, right. Yes. Come on. Yeah. But this but is put a little bit more poetically that it's a broken heart. Right. Not the, not the, yeah. not the blue balls. Right. <laughs> probably something about the fact that the marriage has not been consummated and that has a ticking time bomb. But that's not quite how it's presented. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it basically that like he, you know, and, 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 and it's probably like he's like lying in bed next to her. And this is an expectation he has of something that's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen because like she freaks out as like she freaks out and even has like, you know, these like physical symptoms when he touches her. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he was like, hey, we got to do this one time. Yeah. And that's it. And she was like, OK. And then she freaked out. And he's like, well, I'm going to go see John. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You are now officially my beard. It's okay. <laughs> you guys come like, I tried. Tonight. I tried. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's true. Like, so they they get witnesses and servants and everything. They talk about how, actually, their marriage was pretty great and pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And they bickered, sure. But if he wanted to have sex... And she didn't and was having fits. Right. There would be more fights about this, I feel like. Right. It certainly is presumably, like, must be a source of tension that they are talking about, at least occasionally. Though I guess, you know, we don't know how much is being talked about in front of other people Mm -hmm. and how much isn't. Right. But a court case of, like, you married me to someone who's defective. Yeah something within the two months right although it's interesting that he i mean that he doesn't seem to have uh uh, tried to i mean that he could have had grounds to try to end all the marriage yeah and he hadn't yet at least and you know i mean we don't know whether that's because he thought that she was going to get over this or hey who knows because like he you know was gay and fine was basically having a beard yeah um i mean we genuinely have no idea but it at least was something that like was not as far as we know something that he was like saying he needed to like deal with imminently yeah right i mean at some point she traveled back to her hometown to deal with these epilepsy problems yeah. and like he supported this and yeah. you know gave her things to trade and and right. wanted her escorted and everything like all in all if he had lived to be another 50 years or whatever i don't know however long people lived in the middle ages um, it would have been just fine. Right. And yeah. especially, I mean, because we actually do, I mean, so spoiler for the end, we do know that eventually she remarried and she had yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it is very possible. And, you know, maybe I think really not outside the realm of possibility that he just basically interpreted it as like, well, you're like a teenager. You're scared. You'll go to get over this eventually. It's frustrating, but it's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't need I mean, to worry about it yet. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Already went through this once, so. Right. Yeah. And it's only yeah. been two months. Yes. yes. Let's give it some more time. Yes. Yeah. I love how we're all saying it like that, and it's... <sighs> <laughs> Marriages back then are so different. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, because it's also like, it's not like they were, like, married because they were deeply in love. I mean, no, it was, God, it was not an at arranged all. marriage right. that was about money. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. God, no. 
Ugh. Yeah. Um, the yeah. So the Jewish. The other actually interesting thing with the uh, with the Jewish doctor is that uh, that you know I noticed did not actually come up is that Chris is that Christian narratives about the marital debt actually tend to emphasize it as a debt that the wife owes to her husband, but Jewish narratives actually usually emphasize it as a debt the husband owes to his wife. Hmm. Okay. Um, in terms of like how it's expressed legally and in both it's considered ultimately to essentially go both ways but just in terms of like the rhetoric and in terms of what the rhetoric emphasizes that actually is a difference which is interesting so it's interesting that the jewish doctor like is seems to be like working within the christian terminology and context yeah i mean probably so he can get paid by the courts right yeah which you know fair enough yeah yeah, it is definitely an interesting legal system, and in so much the sense that later, I mean, okay, we've got this woman, we have had months of people coming in and being like, she's a great person. Including her sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we watched her cook the meal with four other people and then eat it and the dog ate it and nobody else is dead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. Like you said, her, this, and also she was a foreigner in this community. So it is right. a community that could instantly be like, get her out. Yeah. And instead it's like, the longer this goes on, the more the community's like, no, she's great. Yeah. Yep. And then. And the response from the judge should be, cool, let's dismiss this. But instead, you get Raymond, who goes, I want to try one more thing. Just one more thing. He keeps wanting to try one more. When he petitioned to have her tortured, I was like. Yes, that's where I was getting Raymond. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And I actually love the response to that. Because the response is like, why are you wasting my time with this? Yes. And it's like he went over the judge's head yeah, to ask mm-hmm. someone to read this case and to come up with a conviction that she needs to be tortured into telling the truth. Yeah. Which I did appreciate the stats that this isn't used very often. Yes, right. that was a little often. bit comforting. Yeah. And as you see from Margarita's case, it's also like there are rules. Right. right. That it's not just like, yeah, whatever, we haven't gotten a confession from this person. I guess we'll just torture them, whatever. That there are situations in which there's deemed to be sufficient evidence to justify torture. So not that I'm saying that, like, torture under any circumstances is a good thing. But I do think the book does a good job of demonstrating that it's not just like a torture free for all. Right. Which is yeah. what people tend to assume about the Middle Ages. Yeah, yes. I know. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely had rules and regulations that... Um, Honestly, in some places, are better than what we have in the modern world. Right. But that's mm-hmm. just my opinion. Right. And, of course, the way in which, like, especially if you're, like, if you are a wealthy, usually white man, you can abuse the court system by having, like, very good lawyers who know how to, like, do the things to abuse the court system in exactly the way that Raymond does. Like, that's also not yes. something that's gone away. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Raymond does abuse the court system. Mm-hmm. And part of it does seem to be essentially that, like, he has more, like, he has more, like, that he can do on his own because she doesn't have the legal expertise. So she has to hire somebody to essentially, like, act as a lawyer for her who has the expertise to do this. 
and he like he doesn't have to do that like he has the expertise that he can basically do all this himself and so his legal fees are already going to be less than hers and he has more like he has funds he has more access to money yeah he's also very good at stalling and disappearing and trying yeah. to but uh right. eventually she is found innocent yes but it takes it took a while, while. <laughs> it takes <laughs> way too long of a time yeah um which I don't know if that's just, I don't know. It's just confusing as fuck that it took that long. But um, yeah, she is brilliant. Yeah. Yep. And immediately turns around and countersues. And I love that. Yeah. I love that she countersues. I also like love that she has the nerve to then say like, Actually, you have to pay me alimony out of my late husband's estate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, yeah. legally makes sense. Yeah, no. she Something. It's not an abnormal request yeah. very much. And, in fact, she really should be entitled to, I think, at least, as I said, like, this is, a, I'm mentioning some stuff that is, like, I know is true in the Catalan context and the Southern French context. I think it's often similar but not necessarily identical. But in the Catalan context, like, you are legally entitled to maintenance for at least a year out of your mm-hmm. husband's estate if you don't remarry. It did say one year. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, only a year. But then I was like, well, if you then remarry. Yeah. Then Someone that young is they... going to remarry. Yeah. 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 And in practice, we do see a lot of women holding, actually maintain, uh, uh, maintaining themselves out of their husband's estate and even actually managing their husband's estate for longer than that if they are lucky enough to not have a Raymond who's, you know, yes. running forward to kind of take the reins on things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of documents about women who clearly are for several years managing their husband's estate. And especially if you have young children and have a kind of formal legal position as their guardian, then you definitely are very likely to end up doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Raymond, I just, <laughs> Who did he owe money that he did right. this? Right. Like, he's just awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like super think that he did kill his brother, but that's just me. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think it's inside the realm of possibility that he murdered his yep. brother. Why not? Because um, when it comes to the alimony thing, one of her sisters-in-law does pay it. Well, like, through her husband, he pays it with the basically yeah. the understanding that should the court decide she's actually not owed this, then she has to pay it back, but he puts it up. Um, and then Raymond does swear to pay his portion and then doesn't <laughs> just like all the other like creditors and everything that's owed. Like, yep. I was so surprised that he like, basically he was just using that as sort of like a stall tactic to say, I'm going to say yes now and then try to figure out how I can fight this other thing now. Yeah, right. um, Raymond's yes. just trash. Um, and at the same time, she also files for a defamation case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asking for mm-hmm. 370 gold pieces. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> um, essentially a good shit of piece it's of money. It's a decent amount of money. Yeah. I can't remember actually yeah. now exactly what currency she uses here, but it is definitely like, it's, it's a substantial amount of money. Like you could yeah. probably like support her for a couple of years at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, it's a case that I think makes sense because, yeah. yeah. And it also, within that price, was enough money to cover the court cases that he kept right. bringing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And that's something pretty common that comes up in medieval cases is essentially the like 
you made me go through this, you should have to pay my court fees. Right, right. And because that they, right. they get mentioned in the context of the inheritance suit, too, is that basically they decide in favor of the, the uterine siblings. But they think essentially that the uncle's claim was reasonable enough that they're not going to make him pay the siblings court fees. Right, right. Whereas Raymond just had like, I don't know, Raymond was really just trying it every which way. And yeah, he was just like throwing things to see what would stick, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also one of the many cases that frustratingly, we just don't actually know how it ended. Yeah. Um, the alimony one, did we figure out? I think no, he ends up paying a shilling. Oh, no, that's the one where he then he's like, she's a minor. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Because you don't yeah. get to claim minor and also old enough to be married. Mm-hmm. So you technically but, can. And yeah, that's I was actually, say, that's yeah. 2020 language in my mind. Right. right. Yeah. So <laughs> the, um, the legal age of full majority, and this is something that's coming from Roman law, is 25. Right. But it would be relatively normal for you to be married quite a bit younger than that. Mm. And so this is actually something that comes up really often, especially with widows who have a lot of, like who have a lot of financial resources at their disposal that they are potentially authorized at this point to manage independently. But it's complicated by the fact that they often are legal minors because it's relatively (laughs) common that you might have a woman who's in her mid to late teens Mm -hmm. who then gets widowed young because she marries somebody who's like old enough to be her father. Yep. Yeah. Maybe we should stop doing that. Yep. Problem solved. (laughs) That'd make it easier, but, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's also like 25 is a pretty high age of legal majority. Like, it's much higher than, you know, it is in America right now. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if she did end up getting her alimony. Because I know that the defamation case was essentially put on hold for three years. Yep, that's right. the one I was trying to figure out which one it was three years. That's that one. It's three years. The record And just was stopped. never resolved. Right, and yeah. then suddenly resume. And it's still pending after three years for some. Yeah, and then that's the one reason. where he's like, "Well, she needs to present all these people to blah blah blah," because when I win, and and then is offended when the court is like, "Okay, now you also have to present these people." Yeah, because was it? Yeah, because there there were also there were a number of cases that just. Ooh, Basically, we don't have the ruling, just like the document just like stops. Mm-hmm. And this is a an all too common problem, which uh, often happens because essentially, so basically like they're keeping these records in like books. And uh, especially when you have a case that's like being dragged on through multiple appeals, what might have ended up happening is that basically like four years later, it finally gets resolved one way or another. And they, like, make, like, a quick note in a totally different book, separate mm-hmm. from all of the previous testimony. Like, we finally resolved this case. This is what happened. But then that book might may or may not have survived. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, there's a lot of things that, like, we, we just, like, don't know the end of cases like this. Or, like, we don't have complete stories for a lot of things just because of accidents of survival, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, which can often be very frustrating. Yep. It's a, it's, and it's even worse when you have the cases where it's like, I'm pretty sure they did actually like have something it, 
related to this that would be interesting and helpful, but then, like, the page ripped or, like, somebody, like, threw a lot of water on it. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Like, I spent a lot of time with documents that have, like, giant holes in them. Oh, God. So they came up with the agreement to pay out of courts based on the court decision. Oh, that's also, yeah. Is that also the one where they tried to send it to arbitration and she was like, I'm not dealing with this. I don't trust these people. Yes. Yes. And because she was like, we've already done this. We have an agreement. I just need a fucking ruling on it. Yeah. And she, and honestly, I get her. She was tired of men who, you know, just dealing with it. And also they're just like bleeding her dry money wise. Right. Yeah. And Raymond agreed to pay it. And now. Right make him pay it because he's not doing it right yeah. and also the other thing is that the point of arbitration is essentially to like reach peace as opposed to necessarily reach justice right and especially if she was concerned or had reason to think that the arbitrators might have favored her brother-in-law which given that he clearly has some amount of influence in the community for some reason is not outside the realm of possibility you can't totally blame her for not being like for being like i don't trust these like random extra men outside of the court system yeah i mean i get it like why would you trust them yeah um okay so they were in front of the judge and she's like we flipping agreed to this outside of it um you know and he's like well she's a minor well i was old enough to get married so like stop and then he goes (laughs) then the judge goes did you agree to this? And Raymond's like, oh, no. and he's like, okay, fine. Where are the other people that agreed to this? And they all agreed. They're all like, yeah, we agreed to this. And then he still drags it on. Being a fuck boy. Like, I just want to know. He, like, I actually, you kind of have to wonder what his wife, who is mentioned a couple of times briefly, what she thought about all this oh my God. and if she was on board or if she was just like, yeah. Oh my God, just stop. Right. Cause it's not just like, it, these are not the only cases he had going on at the time. Right. right. He has like nine cases that he's involved yeah. in, yeah. which are well, like mostly, his... I think defamation suits, but a yes. couple other things too. I think one's like a yeah. tavern brawl. I think so. Um, curious too, like about like with, thinking about what his wife was saying what his sisters were saying because they're well at least one of them testified that she didn't think margarita hurt her brother or anything like that that she was an upstanding good woman yeah so just curious what those conversations were like um especially as they tried to then all work together to essentially defeat the uncle's claim to the estate yeah i think there's a lot of implications that there's like maybe some really awkward christmas dinner is happening yes (laughs) Oh, yeah, Margarita gets pissed, but her judge is like, hey, shut up. And is like, judge, make her listen to me. And she's like, no, I'm sick of all this. I feel like the judge is like, I just want to be done with this thing. Yes. Yeah. There was definitely a point um, where the the judge seemed to hit like, okay, my patience is just gone. It's not even worn thin. It's just gone right now. Why are we still doing this? Right. Yeah. 
and that is like I think that is like a legal strategy on Raymond's part. It's essentially like wear the judge down into agreeing mm-hmm. with him. The empty space left by the court notary for the judge's sentence remains blank to this day. For whatever reason, the judge did not rule. Worse, though the records are damaged and badly disorganized, a faded and watered stained date suggests that in April the parties were still presenting arguments. This appeal, which began in August and carried over to at least April, <coughs> ooh, sorry, contained no resolution or verdict. We will never know. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. a far too common frustrating occurrence for medieval historians. Which we also will never know about the defamation case either, right? Yes, yeah. I believe so. Because yeah. mm-hmm. <sighs> that's where he was supposed to, like, Raymond had to come with his people. And we, yeah. we don't know if he actually showed up with them to, like, right. yeah. Or if he was like, there. I'm going to, like, fuck off to this other town again. Because why yeah. not? I also love that he's like, she like went to a different town and she shouldn't have. And then like every five minutes during these court cases, he's like, I'm, I'm just going to be out of town for a bit during when I have yep, to do right. everything. Right. I'm just disappearing. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I can do that. Yeah. And it also is like he, to some extent, inherently has more mobility than she does uh, because he's a man. And uh, like, and because like she is like put in a position where the mobility that she has is also limited by these court cases. Yeah. So. Yeah, but he was the one who was worried that she was gonna flee back to Beaumont. Like, right. Yeah. Okay, Raymond. <laughs> yeah. And what's also annoying is that like some point he didn't show, but he sent his like fifteen year old kid or younger <laughs> yes. than fifteen to get the documents, and she's like, "I'm sorry, you're testing <laughs> that kid with these documents, yet I'm supposed to be a minor," and it's just like. Yeah. <sighs> She's like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's also like, it just adds to like the, like, this took forever. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. And like, especially in a time where there weren't a lot of murder cases, um, there were a lot of defamation claims there, did, mm-hmm. but those were quick. Right. Like most of well, the cases yeah. that are coming before the courts are like, there's a lot of defamation suits. There's a lot of debt cases. Right. <clears throat> But, yeah, like, there are not a lot of, like, there are not a lot of murder cases. I hope she had a good, happy life afterwards. It seems well, like at least she, she might have. I mean, she, yeah. she, remarried. I mean, she remarried. We don't know to what extent, obviously, that was something that's, like, purely her choice as opposed to something that she felt like she had to do. Right. For, I mean, she, like, social and economic stability. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she definitely had to for that, but maybe right. it's a guy she liked. Yeah, but, like, hopefully she liked him or they got along at least. They had five, like, five children, I think it said. And, Something like, like that, she, yeah. you know, presumably at least, like, mm-hmm. we can certainly hope that she, like, loved it and got along well with her children, who I think were actually yeah. even, like, all alive still when she died, which is, like, yeah. a pretty good rate. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. They were married for like 30 years by the time yeah. her second husband passed away. And she did, um, when she passed away, her will basically, she wanted to be buried with him. Yeah. So, and not, she could have asked to be buried with her first husband, but. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Preferred to be buried with her second husband. She also actually, she could have chosen, James, she could have potentially said like, send me back to like Beaumont. I want to be buried next to yeah. my parents. 
So or brother, because I think yeah, two of her brothers may have died before her. Right. The yeah, deacon. that would have been a legitimate choice as well for her to say she wants to yeah. be buried with, uh, like, with her siblings. Yeah. It is interesting how much her brothers stood up for her, understanding that they weren't going to get any of this estate. Mm. Right. It clearly is very much about supporting her as opposed to any, uh, like, specific yeah. gain that they're actually getting themselves. Yeah. Right. And especially because one of the brothers is a deacon, and I like there's sort of limited amounts of like, you know, necessarily like private property that he could access via inheritance anyway, in addition to him having no claim to this particular estate. Right. <laughs> there's nothing on Raymond's death, but except for that, um, Margarita almost certainly outlived him. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he was probably in his fifties when he was accusing her and she was 16. Yeah. What exactly Raymond died of remains a mystery, but I really hope it was from an almond and garlic <laughs> Maybe there's just a garlic allergy in the family, which would have made, like, yeah. Provencal cuisine really oh rough. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you know if, like, like if Raymond died, like, as the, like, I'm trying to remember, like, what was, so... With the defamation suit, he was supposed to show up with his people and, like, they were supposed to be able to attest to things. Like, if he died right then, if the court papers would have, like, if the records would have said something about that or if they that could be a reason why they stopped. They might not have. I think it, they would mm. have essentially potentially just kind of taken this as a, like, excuse to, like, be like, all right, now we're just, like, done with this. Yeah. Right. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> Subject A or yeah. prosecutor A yeah. has died. Yeah. Right. I'm curious if that could be like why they just stop. Yeah, no, it's definitely not impossible that yeah they because they would have just not mentioned that they would just been like all right we're just we're just not dealing with this anymore like we're clearly not getting anything out of him he's dead like unless you want to fight with his heirs and like if you want to do that that's up to you but and but she didn't necessarily want to do that like I mean we actually have no idea to what extent she knew or what she thought about like his like wife and children like and you know so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she liked them because everyone liked her except for Raymond. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, like, very possibly, like, his wife and children were perfectly decent people and she wouldn't necessarily yeah. have wanted to, like, become embroiled in a whole thing with them. Yeah. Yeah. I also did like that her, I mean, that, like, her new husband and his family are also, like, very much, like, on her side for a lot of yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Like, her mother-in-law was putting up her dowry. Yeah. Um, as part of, I can't remember which, which case it was. I think that might have been the defamation suit. I think so too. I'm not positive, but I think so. Um, but for her mother-in-law who obviously didn't know her then when everything was happening, like when her first husband died to put up her dowry, it's pretty, it speaks to her character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think it is really interesting the extent to which clearly really everybody likes her except Raymond. Yeah. Right. He is the outlier. He is the one exception. Raymond's will is also interesting. Um, yeah. He leaves nothing for his mother. Um, his wife and their son and two daughters. Um, his wife was the executor as, as long as she remained unmarried. And then... An endowment for their daughters. There was something else I read that it. 
Raymond asked to be buried next to his father. Finally, he requested that a religious donation be made from his estate in the form of sacks of wheat to redeem the sins he had committed in life. <laughs> that's like, thinking that's got to be a lot of wheat. I was going to say, like, that's pretty standard. It actually kind of seems like that's actually not a great donation for his sins. Like, I've, <laughs> like, I've seen more intense donations for one's sins, which makes me think that, like, he at least did not think of himself as a person who... I, yeah. Had he instructed say. his mm-hmm. executors in their an error that if they were merciful, they would in no way attempt to alter their religious donation. If they did so, he warned God's wrath would descend upon them. Whatever. Even... As a young man con- contemplating his ultimate days in the state of his eternal soul, Raymond was vin- vengeful. Surprise, surprise. Yep. He didn't seem vengeful at all this entire time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I did enjoy that. The like, just like, no matter, no matter what he's doing, he's still kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, she died at about 72. Which, like, you know, and so, like, that's actually one of the, like, big uh, other, like, myths about the Middle Ages that, like, is that, like, everybody's dying at 40. Yeah. It's just that the whole average lifespan is screwed up by the fact that infant mortality is really high and death in childbirth is really high. But if you made it past essentially the age of, like, 10 and then as a woman made it past childbearing years, you could easily, like, like, it wouldn't be that weird for you to live to be like 60 plus right yeah and i think that does and i think she also we have her will Mm -hmm. yes where she did ask to be married with her second husband um she left her daughter 10 florins and some clothes uh to the second daughter she left five florins and some clothes um and then her third daughter she gave five florins and a green dress it's damaged in part, but also made a gift to one other daughter, either her remaining natural child or perhaps a woman named uh, um, Alriazia. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that was her second husband's daughter by previous marriage. Which, which if that was the case, that would be interesting. I'd, uh, I don't think he has a couple piece uh, pictures of documents in here. I don't think he has that one. I. Uh, mm-hmm. I would be curious if in Kate, which in which case it was a kindness to for her to do this to remember her as her own. Hmm. Yeah. In all other matters, uh, her son <clears throat> was her heir. And that's actually the other interesting thing is that her son is named Juan, which is her first husband's name, uh, and her first daughter is named Johanna. Yeah. Hmm. So mm. she she cared for him. Yeah. Yeah. Also like to um the author points out that the I'm probably gonna say this wrong. Melius Maleficarium? Uh, the the Melius witches, Maleficarum, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 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 that that um was first published in Germany in fourteen eighty seven and was making the rounds. Um so just kinda like my first thought when we decided on this book and thinking of the title and, oh, she's accused of sorcery and poison. It's like, oh, my God, they're going to, like, burn this woman alive or 
hang her or something. Yeah. Like I would just went right there with the witchcraft um, charge, but just because of the timing. Exactly. I think if, She's like just a little before the witch craze yeah. really becomes a thing. Yeah. If it had happened like what? A little bit later. Right. Like a, a century later. Bad. I think she would have been in much more danger. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but in the late 14th century, still like witchcraft is not a thing that's really on most people's minds extensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have these occasional accusations, but relatively few of them actually end in convictions. Yeah. It seems more of like astrology rather than witchcraft. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. were born in this time during this time, and thus you can accidentally curse someone. Right. Me, yeah. And there's a lot of conversations about like demonic possession. Mm-hmm. Yes. And things along those lines. And there's a lot of concerns, especially with like people who have a reputation for sanctity about whether they're really holy or if they're actually demonically possessed and their visions are actually being sent by the devil. Right. But yeah, but you're like really like you're really not getting a lot of people in the 14th century uh, yet executed for witchcraft. It seems very chill. Just a little heavy on the religion, but very chill. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more chill than like. Salem during those yeah. times, you know, just because yeah. that's why I thought that's how I thought this was going to end was that she was being convicted. Oh, I was really, and, yeah, yeah, just expecting her to do it and get off. Yeah, and that's definitely one of also like my many like medievalist soapboxes is that a lot of the things that people think of as like medieval violence is actually really early modern violence. Um, so things that are happening in like really like focused in 1500 and later and but people like to think of that period as like the beginning of modernity and so they're like oh Mm. no like all of these things are medieval things it's like well actually no they're not and also like progress isn't linear so this is very true (laughs) look at america progress is not linear (laughs) (laughs) i'm fine with you keeping the political things in but feel free to cut them out if you don't want to be over political commentary it's fine politics are just gonna keep creeping in it's gonna happen so yeah yeah but yeah no and as i said i think like really this is a book that i think does a really good job of uh, both using but also explaining how he uses these kinds of sources mm-hmm. which are in this particular case like he is lucky could like and this is like the kind of thing that you know social historians love is when you actually have something like this where you have a figure that you can trace in this way with this amount of rich documentation yeah um but that uh you know i think he i think he's really successful at, exp- at like telling her story and uh, presenting it as a story that tells something about the world in which it happened without making a claim about this being quote like normal or representative because you know it yeah. might not be exactly but it still reflects certain social norms i can yeah. see this being taught um especially because a lot of the chapters go through and is like okay just a reminder i am looking through it this lens and yeah. if you were studying one of these kinds of history, here's a lens you can take this and run with and make your own story. Yeah. Right. Using this. Yeah. I mean, and in a lot of other kinds of books, this would be a story that might be addressed, but that might be like something that you would briefly address within one chapter. 
And this might be like your like opening chapter hook. And then you would go into like something that might be more focused on. I mean, so he actually mentions he does, you know, include his context that he looked at a lot of other sources. Like you might go into something who is like this percentage of sources of like court of like court records are about debt debt writs and this percent are about Mm -hmm. definitions. And that might be like what the focus of a different kind of um, book was. Right. I also appreciate um, that he has at the end, uh, he has the family trees, and then he also has the um, the trial documents in full in both his Latin transcription and in translation. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And he also has a couple, yeah, he also has a couple, like, pictures throughout of yeah. uh, what some of these documents look like which mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to do in my own book and which I appreciate because I think, I think people should know how terrible the documents that we look at are. <laughs> right. I, I would agree just to, just for people to appreciate it that much more. Yeah. Like these, these are hard. Yeah. They look hard. <laughs> yeah. Like this, like it takes a lot of work to be able to read something that looks like these documents. Right. It's not like it's, in English, just like shorthand, and you're trying to figure out what this little shorthand symbol stands for. It's like, right. no, no, it's in Latin, and there's right. also shorthand. There's little symbols right. and stuff. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> but first and foremost, it's in Latin. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a reason why my undergraduate advisor on like day one of college, when I said I was interested in medieval history, was like, "Great, sign up for Latin. <laughs> Get to know your Latin." Good tip. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hot, hot tip for any aspiring medievalists yep. out there. Hurry up on the Get Latin. That Latin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is a book I can recommend to a friend, mm-hmm. but I definitely think it is one that if you're looking to get into history and just kind of want a discussion of how you can look at something and then look at something through different lenses of history, yeah. it's really great. And I think it would be really great taught. Yeah, which is, as I said, I'm, I'm potentially going to be assigning this for something next year, actually, yeah. so... Yeah, it's awesome. one that if I had gotten it in class, I would not have been upset. Right, which is, okay. which is the goal of our students to not hate us. Right. <laughs> That's a big compliment. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not a textbook. Right, that it's, you know, there, are val- there is value in textbooks, but it's also nice to have, a, I think this does a really good job of presenting an example to students of how historians can do history. Yeah, and especially, yeah. like, when you're starting to think of your senior paper or senior thesis yeah. or whatever it is, and having to be, this is a good example of being like, all right, you can look at, you can pass out a document to seven people and think you're going to get seven of the same answers, Yeah, and here's how you're not. Yeah. Right. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of my college days, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, thank you for, uh, I know that this is maybe not exactly what you had in mind when you said historical event, but uh, you got a mm. social historian. So I was like, this is an event technically of like this like random woman not murdering yeah. her husband. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a look at a time period that I don't think I've read anything nonfiction about. And now I have a bit more of a grasp that it's not as barbarian as yeah. some people make it out to mm. be. Um, women still didn't have all of these rights but she did still stand up in court occasionally and talk for herself and that is great yeah and 
that they did let women bring to court things like, hey, he called me a slut. Yeah. Mm. You know. Including, by the way, like there are actually like prostitutes who sue because somebody called them a slut. Yeah. Which I find really interesting because it's like, oh, like that's not considered to be just like a description of their profession. Like that was considered still an insult if yeah. you are professionally right. a prostitute. So, yeah, I, I truly you're right. This isn't some major event that you should expect in history books going forward, but it is a moment in time that really shows a lot about the legal system and the belief system, you know? Yeah. And, and the sense of community. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big believer in this kind of history as being the history that lets us understand a period better overall. Yeah. That I think that like studying a period exclusively through the lens of like here are like six dramatic events that happened in the Middle Ages, like I don't think you're getting medieval history entirely right by just studying like the Black Death. Sure, I agree. Like not that yes. you shouldn't study the Black Death, but yeah. right. But I mean, this book like opens and's like, yeah, that happened, but we moved on, and that yeah. happened, and we moved on, mm-hmm. and here's actually kind of how our government structure kind of moved on, right? Yeah, you know? it just like slips all this education in there, and it doesn't feel like yeah, like a textbook that's putting me to sleep. It feels just like right. this is part of the story. Yeah. I need to understand this background, and oh, it's like real. Like this is like historical fact. Okay, fine, great. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's um. It's exciting to see more volumes coming out that are good scholarship, but also um, accessible for teaching in this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, the press that put this out is University of Toronto Press, and they in particular, I think, are doing a lot of good things. Like, they also put out a lot of, like, source books that have text and translation, so students can actually read a lot of medieval sources that, and, like, a pretty broad variety of medieval sources that are going to give them a number of different lenses on the past, as opposed to, like, you know, in like, you know, I mean, you know, like before a lot of people started publishing a lot of source books in particular, it'd be hard to be able to like have students know that there are like texts that are written like by or about or that center women, for example. Mm-hmm. So. No, I really like this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me on to talk <clears throat> about this. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, so normally we do a book drink. <laughs> Is there a drink that involves garlic? <laughs> I mean, you can put garlic in a Bloody Mary. I was literally just thinking that. Yep. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but I was also Bloody thinking like Mary regionally, is. I could definitely see a like really like rich, like oh, dark deep. red wine. Mm, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Put some garlic in that wine. <laughs> maybe, maybe have like the wine yeah. with a side of garlic bread <laughs> I like that better <laughs> a good oh, like Malbec and yeah some mm. French French some uh, garlic bread yeah or like the mm-hmm. uh, there's a town uh, Cahors in um, kind of central southern France uh, which has this wine that's like a very like dark red wine that's described as the black wine of Cahors ooh hmm that sounds I think, perfect. I think that would work. Mm, okay. Yep. All right. Anything else that you want to say about Margarita and we respect Raymond? It. Yeah, that's for Margarita, not Raymond. Yeah, no. <laughs> Raymond, 
I hope you're enjoying home. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> I hope those sacks of wheat were man. not enough to get you out of purgatory, Raymond. I hope you're still <laughs> right, there. Right, right, right. I, I, yeah, exactly. Like, I hope you you just, like, you had those sacks because you thought you were going to get into purgatory and get out. I hope you're just straight up in hell. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I, I think Dante's got, like, a specific circle of hell that would be for people who bear false witness. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So. It's just such a weird vendetta and like <laughs> to not have a solution as to why he went after her so strongly. Right. Yeah. But it is just like, it's one of those things like, it's just like so hard to know. And I think Benersky yeah. does an interesting job of, he has a, like he has speculation and like narrative retellings that I, but I think that he does like do a good job of like marking the things that he is like retelling and reconstructing and speculating about. Mm-hmm. But, like, one of the things that often comes up, especially when you're doing this kind of social history, but in, honestly, a lot of history, is that, like, you have to do speculation to some extent because you don't have, like, you don't have documents that are going to attest to motivation in particular. Like, you're you're not going to have, like, a diary entry for Raymond being, like, this is why I hate Margarita. Right. <laughs> it should Could you imagine though if he did <laughs> <laughs> it'd be fun and, and, and yeah. that'd be great like that's actually my one like i would love to have time travel because i would love to like go back in time and like interview some people yep um but like assuming that you know that's not going to happen like you're just kind of left to wonder essentially and yeah like we don't know exactly what his motives are and you know right. i i think the evidence is pretty good that margarita didn't poison juan but like we don't know exactly like how she felt about him and like how she felt when he died like yeah. it might have been some combination of like sad but also like who knows like maybe she was a little relieved like it was this like guy that she hadn't wanted to marry who's like 40 years older than her and she like freaked out every time they had they were like tried to have sex like i mean mm-hmm. you know you can totally blame her if she's a little like i'm not that sad yeah <laughs> yeah she did her respectful duty and yeah <laughs> that is it oh as i often say being a widow was kind of the dream in the Middle Ages, potentially. <laughs> oh, yep, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, and she's widowed young, so she does remarry, but like she remarries, right. but like then she, but like she only remarries once. Like at some point, she's like at the point where she's like, all right, after this marriage, like I'm left with like some modicum of stability. I don't necessarily want to remarry. Yes, which like you don't have to. Yeah. You don't want to? Don't have to? Don't do it. Yeah. Like, and I love probably, that. Yeah, and she's probably at that point, like, in a position where especially because, like, she has children where she's able to, where, like, that gives her some protection that she's going to be financially supported between her dowry and, like, through their help, essentially. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's nice that she got a happy ending in all this. I am very happy about that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Vindictive shrew. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that was the life and times of Margarita. Like, it, yeah. I hope it she was. got justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that she. I'm glad that she got like some amount of justice at least. Like, right. True. True. Yeah. True. True. Okay. All right. So, let's see. Before we go into, we did the book drink, red wine. Oops red wine or a bloody mary with garlic um before we get into what we're reading next 
for the podcast. Megan, do you know what you're reading that's not for the podcast? I do. Do you? I do. Go right <laughs> ahead and start. It. Oh, so I'm going to go with the third of the Inheritance, N.K. Jemison's um, Inheritance series. The, um, what is it called? The Kingdom of Gods. Oh, okay. So I'm going to okay. continue that story and see what happens. Yeah. It's really good. Do you need more time? No, I'm good. Uh, Sarah, oh, okay. what about you? What are yeah. you reading next? So I am going to be reading, uh, so actually one of your other uh, past and I believe future guests, Ollie Brady, uh, talked me into reading the Wheel of Time saga. Oh, have fun. Uh, Which which I have been having fun with, um, but I am about to, I'm coming to, I'm coming close to the end of it. I'm about to start book 11, which is the, which is Knife of Dreams. Very nice. How many books are there? I believe 14 plus a prequel. Oh, okay. And I read the prequel, so I've read... 11 of 15 books so i have four to go my goodness okay when did you start (laughs) the the series like about a year ago okay at this point this has been keeping you busy yeah and i've gone back and forth and there's like been other things that i've read too on and off but yeah but it's definitely like this has been my like go-to i've usually been kind of like alternating between like reading that and reading something else Uh, so i you know don't read like nothing but that for for a year um but yeah but in total it's gonna end up probably being like a year and a half journey which uh it has been a lot of fun i've really been enjoying it if uh if you want to make the commitment i would recommend it but it is like a commitment yeah yeah my last commitment was to the outlander series and i'm still (laughs) on book four so (laughs) that's still plugging away (laughs) yeah Oh, and then Game of Thrones, which I stopped after book three. Mm. Ah, was uh, was the climactic event of book three a little too much? It was like seven climactic events. So yes, yes, yes um. book three <laughs> is a bit much. Yeah. I kept being like, oh, we just had a big bloody death. I have how many pages left? 200? <laughs> yep. I like Game of Thrones, but that book in particular that is has has a lot happening. Yeah. I finished that in December and was like, I'm gonna take a break. Including like that book in particular, somebody should have, I hope, given you a content warning for dog death. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a Maybe. rough scene. I may have Googled it. Yeah. Um, so I will be reading the Unstoppable Wasp novelization, not comic by Sam Maggs. I'm very excited about this because Unstoppable Wasp is one of my favorite superheroes. If you have not read, I think it's four trades now, it is an absolute fucking delight. It is um, Ant-Man's daughter who was like trapped in a Russian assassination school i think it's like wherever black widow came from but she is the most cheerful kid (laughs) and she just wants to be a teenager and gets all these girls who are so good at science and different forms of science and starts a lab with them and she is um watched over by i'm trying to remember whoever was married to ant-man and um hope huh is that her name hope is that her name yeah i mean that's not who i'm thinking of oh um, no? 
and um, Bobby are watching all over these girls. It is diverse. It is in, in both like background, sexuality, um, and types of science. And it is also a really, really great story. The second, second arc touches on mental illness because um, Ant-Man was kind of a shithead. Mm. We're not talking Paul Rudd. We're talking Ant-Man in the comics. Um, and Paul Rudd can do no wrong. <laughs> well, I say um, that and now watch. <laughs> yes, knock on Something wood, touch wood, happen. touch wood, touch wood. Um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's her dealing with uh, being bipolar. And... Mm. So basically anything I can get my hands on it. Like even if you read it in single issues, there's a lot of like support for STEM and people writing in that do STEM. And it's just like, I pushed it off for so long. I ended up reading it while I was uh, in treatment and it is, I just like, it's a fucking delight. And it was exactly what I needed. So I am incredibly blessed to have an advanced copy of the novelization. Um, I don't even think Jeremy Whitley, who created Unstoppable Laws, <laughs> has a copy of it, or at least he didn't last time I saw. So, like, fancy. feeling super cool. Uh, it is also not fancy. the next book that I need to be reading, but it's the book that I'm going to because the moment that came in, I was like, yes, <laughs> I have seven other things I have to read first. Nice. So, so yes. Go read Unstoppable Wasp. You will <laughs> not awesome. regret it. Um, and then uh, for the podcast, we're going to keep going with women authors. Or women. this one wasn't a woman author, but it was just women in general. Yes. Um, like focus. Centering women stories. Yes. This one is going to be, the next one is going to be like Water for Chocolate uh, by La- Laura Esquivel. Um, the challenge for next time is a book that was originally written in another language, translated into English. This one was originally written in Spanish. Um, Very excited for this one. It's been on my yeah. to-read list forever. I haven't read it, but I'm excited. I should also listen. I should also listen to Join read us. it to then yes. listen to your podcast. <laughs> yes, I should also read the book before I listening to your episode. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Like I did a reread of it. Um, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I don't remember. Um, I remember you pulling it off your ago. shelf. So yeah, yeah, because it had been a while. It had been a while since I had um, read it. So did a reread, and then for the movie, I think I saw the movie maybe in high school. I don't know. Parts of it seemed familiar to me when I did when I watched the movie on Netflix. Um, I think that was in January, maybe maybe February. Um, but definitely not enough for me to fully remember having seen the movie, but I, I must have, cause there are certain parts that just jumped out at me. Um, so very excited to read this one again and talk about it. There's a good focus on food that just makes me want to cook. Mm. <laughs> like, it's kind of like when I would watch that show Hannibal. Um, oh my God. Yes. The, the food presentation. I was like, I'm going to make fancy meals. Yes. <laughs> One of the food consultants for that actually is a uh, Jose Andres, who has a bunch of restaurants in uh, the DC area, which is where I grew mm-hmm. up, including one that like his Spanish restaurant to Haleos is like, I like grew up going there basically. And uh, yeah, I, it, yeah, I, I have a real connection to Hannibal. Yeah. Therefore, I guess because of that. 
<laughs> but yeah, it definitely makes eating people <laughs> tasty. I mean, he oh. just puts a lot of work into the presentation. He really yeah. relishes what he's doing. He enjoys what he's doing. Yeah. There it is. He enjoys to, what he's doing. You have to appreciate cooking artistry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah like water for chocolate um let's see sarah where can people find you uh so you can find me on twitter at sarah if decker and you can also find me at my podcast if you want to hear more of my opinions about medieval history my podcast is (laughs) my podcast is called media evil and on it, I talk about uh, uh, medieval, inspi- medieval and medieval inspired movies, TV and books and what they get right and what they get wrong. Uh, Megan has been a guest in the past to talk about the night before Christmas. So that could be a fun episode to start with. For like four hours. <laughs> so I think long. I got the actual episode down to two, but it was like, wow, we yes. spent a lot. Like we spent more time talking about that movie than the movie actually was yes. in length. Oh. <laughs> because yes. it was so ridiculous. So ridiculous. So nice. a lot of it is medieval movies and why they're wrong is the short version. I see that you're also getting into books. Yes, I have always in theory been planning on doing books, but have only just just recently started doing books because honestly, it feels like more of a commitment to read a book. No, totally understand. Um, yep. But yes, but one of my more recent episodes, uh, I talked about Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, which is a Such book that I overall book. would highly recommend. Yes. Such a good book. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And Megan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me. Uh, easiest place is on my website, which is meggriffin.com. Meg is spelled with two G's. Um, from there, you can find the podcast that I'm on and that I have guested on. Uh, my main two podcasts right now are Judging Book Covers. Yay. And <laughs> Minds at Yerk. Um and I am also uh, working on a 365-day writing process project. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, where I take a writing prompt and set a timer for 30 minutes and write. And basically just trying to get the creative juices flowing and to remind myself to write. And it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay that... I can write for 30 minutes and maybe it makes absolutely no fucking sense. Um, Cause I had one the other day where I started writing and about halfway through, I was like, actually this would have been really good to like write a scene for a book that I'm working on. So tonight's I might actually take the same opening line and do mm-hmm. that. Um, yes. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I have not posted. Um, I've only posted the first two. I'm probably going to get the rest of them up this weekend. Um, and you can also find my book reviews there. I am just trying to kind of grow that space. But uh, Miss Stephanie, where can people find you? Uh, for now, you can just find me here at the podcast. Although I am on Twitter, I've been doing that 365 challenge because Megan yes. convinced me. Um, it hasn't been every day. Hey, so, it's like okay. um, that, I, I tweeted about. I was like, all right, let's pick this at random. So I had some help picking it at random. And it was a dystopian future where, like, basically we released a compound to sustain plant life. And it just made the the trees and the plants, like, just 
over like they're all overgrown and now they're pressing into houses and now oxygen levels are too high and i was like what the hell am i supposed to do with this like very much outside of where i'm comfortable writing but then started actually having fun once i figured out what i wanted to do so that's yeah. bled into more than day four or five whatever day that was it's gone so i'm being very flexible with my rules of <laughs> what i'm doing with the prompts and stuff so the thing is but it is a lot of fun one of my favorite books of 2019 um, was by Sean and McGuire. And I am totally vamping while I pull, pull this up. And basically, it was an anthology of short stories that she had published that she was finally bringing under one roof um, that were all pu- published under her name, Sean and McGuire, and not Mira Grant. So these are more sci fi rather than horror. Though a lot of what she writes even as Sean McGuire is a bit horrific. Um, <laughs> and the, she also would talk about like where the story original originated and like what the prompt was. And it was so fascinating to see what she came up with based on that prompt. And I am still going to vamp because I can't quite find it. <laughs> um, and what's great just to tie it to nowadays, um, we are, currently going through a coronavirus scare mm-hmm. um i used air quotes because like i don't know i personally talked to my doctor my doctor says that we're not worried enough but that is mostly because um we don't know what is how it's spreading Basically, I'm on house arrest because I am I'm autoimmune compromised and autoimmune suppressed. Right. So I'm like yeah. fucking going to get it at some point. But Shauna McGuire wrote about how she released a virus um, at a book signing. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, there was another virus one that I can't quite remember. And then there was another one. Where all the virus turned everybody into um, um, dinosaurs because they made yeah. fun of her love for Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Stars are right. All right. Yes. Why not? Yep. Laughter at the Academy. That's what it's called. So, yes, this was kind of the my friend did this one year, but this was also the kind of kick that I needed to do this because she's given these prompts and I'm sitting there like, I have no interest in these prompts, but the way that she takes them and runs with them and twists them, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be that person one day. And yeah. if you haven't read any of Shauna McGuire's work, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely check her out. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah. She also writes under Amira Grant. If you prefer her horror stuff. Okay. Um, she also wrote a novella where she was very angry at anti-vaxxers, where she basically killed everybody in the world because fuck anti-vaxxers. <laughs> so. I just love her so much. Oh my god. She I also wrote that. an entire horror story that is like through tweets. Oh, wow. Yes. Hmm. That's clever. Yes. Interesting. So. Basically, I have my students come up with Twitter conversations um, sometimes as a historical exercise. They have to write like a paper, but it's a paper as a Twitter conversation. I love that. Between historical okay. figures. Basically, <laughs> Sean and McGuire. I, if, you're, if you just need a new BFF, I am 
application ready. And so for us, you can find us at JBC Podcast on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. There's also the Facebook group, Handbook for Fabulous Retellings, covers. Sarah, thank you so much for coming back. You were always welcome. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. I (laughs) appreciate your willingness to do this odd choice for a book about a historical event. (laughs) Yes. Anybody else that asked, we would have said no. But you, of course. (laughs) Thank you. This is a lot yes, of fun. So come back. Yeah. Happy to come on. Thank you. Yes. Come back anytime. <laughs> All right. And then, so join us in two weeks for like water for chocolate. And in the meantime, keep supporting your local libraries. Yay. Yay.